just returned from Haiti with Team Haiti, and uh, I want to give praise and honor and glory to God. Our God is an amazing God. We felt his peace and uh, knew that you were praying. Thank you. We had an amazing leader, um, my son-in-law, Matt Johnson. Matt made the tickets and the arrangements. When we got to Miami, we learned that our connecting flight had already taken off. That was a surprise. So Matt um, went to the problem desk and um, negotiated accommodations and vouchers for all of us. So I'm going to fast forward now to the end of the trip. When we got back to Miami, we were clearing customs and going through security, and uh, the process took about two hours, and about eight of our team members didn't make the flight. Now here's your Pastor R pleading with the stewardess, says, please don't take off. To the, uh, they said, well, we're at the mercy of the ticket agent. So I found him, I said, please, hold the plane. Some people are coming. I think what he did was he went to the desk and said, put the standbys on. So our people were replaced by standbys, and then uh, they were told there'd be a three-day wait in Miami. So our plane had some engine trouble. We had to board and then unboard and board another plane. And eight didn't have a plane, but by the grace of God, we all made it back. So we're good to be here. Another piece of news for you, uh, Scott Avey and his wife Jennifer have sold their house. Uh, he was praying, yeah, it's good news. I was hoping that when I said I'm back, you'd all would clap, but when Scott's coming, you're going to clap too. <laughs> he, um, he's going to be at Angel Phillips' house tomorrow through Thursday, looking for a house on this part. He had prayed for three weeks to sell his house. He sold it in two weeks. Can you believe it? In this market, sold his house in two weeks. So he's going to become homeless in about two weeks or take possession. So he's coming to town. I said, we've got a place for you here, Scott. You come on back to uh, Frederick. So we just seen confirmation after confirmation. We rejoice in God. Next week, you want to come because you're going to hear, um, see... Some of our men have gone through Courageous. They're going to be here and um, standing forth. And we're going to tell you what God's been doing as well as where we're going with men's ministry. And a special invitation from me to you, uh, next Saturday at 7.30, just you men. I know the mops women are throwing a yard sale early in the morning, but there's also a breakfast for all men. It's sponsored by the Water Boys, a group I've been associated with the last six months, and I've seen God really move through this group of men. It's a breakfast, including worship and a good teaching, about 7.30 to about 9.30, and I think you'll really be encouraged. You hear uh, Paul Foss make a case for men's ministry, so that's coming up. Uh, behind me, you're going to see something called soap, and that's something actually the water boys do. We're trying to introduce also with this series in the book of Mark. You can download them off our website. You can get a soap page at our Connection Center, but let me briefly explain it to you. You'll see on our website, our staff members have been soaping through the book of Mark. Scripture to be reading through the book of Mark prayerfully, asking the Holy Spirit to illumine the truth to you, to be observing. Why did Mark write this gospel? What's the author's intent? What is it saying? And then making some applications as to how these verses apply to you, taking them to heart, breathing them in, and then praying them back to God. Let me give you what I'm going to talk about, then I'll talk about it, okay? We're in the book of Mark, and the first movement of this story is the king has come. And John the, Baptor, John the baptizer is preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins to prepare people's hearts for the coming king. The second movement is the king humbles himself by doing something you'd never expect the king to do, to be baptized in the river Jordan and then to fast in the wilderness. And the third is our king delivers his message, calling people forth 
into his kingdom. So here we go, Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. The beginning of the good news of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The good news is the gospel, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Are you ashamed of the gospel? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. My passion is to share the gospel. I would rather not eat lunch and share the gospel. I have no greater joy than to see someone hear the gospel and understand the gospel and respond to the gospel. Now in our world, there are 7 billion people. Only 2 billion would identify themselves as Christians. About 1 billion are Hindu. About another billion are Muslim. There's about a billion people in our world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. As it is written by Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is the story of the true king, Jesus, bringing forth his true kingdom. When the king was coming to town, one of the king's men would go before to announce his arrival. We know that our president and several other leaders, the G8 summit, is coming now to Thermot. Preparations are being made, including canceling school. The place where John was preaching was out in the wilderness. The wilderness is a barren place, a forsaken place, a lonely spot. You see, the Jordan flowed through the wilderness, but it was a parched place, rimmed by mountains, known for its barrenness and dryness. The wilderness is a place and is also a metaphor. The people of the city and the countryside living in that barrenness, their souls were thirsty. They longed for a spiritual drink of water. They were parched. They had drunk of the cisterns and the wells of this world and were not satisfied. And perhaps this morning your soul also is thirsty and you're feeling parched and you're feeling pretty barren living here in Maryland. People of Jerusalem left their city to hear John preached. They trekked out through the wilderness to hear the word of God. There hadn't been a prophet for 400 years. And now God was sending a prophet to speak to the nation. So what were the problems the nation was dealing with? The first issue was that of religion. The people had religion and they had religiosity, but they did not have a relationship with the living God. The Pharisees were like the old wineskins. They were rigid, and they were brittle, and they were hard. But Jesus is the new wine. And John would say he is a friend of the bridegroom. He rejoiced to hear the bridegroom's voice. And Jesus would say you can't pour new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskin is going to burst. The number one problem was that of religion. The second problem was the issue of sin. The question is, what is sin? Sin at its core is living independently of God. Living as if God does not exist. Living as if 
God has not spoken. People live as if there is no God. They put themselves on the throne and they make up their own rules. People are self-centered. When we sin, we're thinking of ourselves primarily. We're looking out for ourselves. We're indulging our sin, ourselves. So there was religion and there was sin. There also was guilt. Sin always produces guilt. Guilt is basically a dislike of ourselves. We don't like the fact that we've hurt somebody and we feel responsible. We see the damage we have done in their lives by our self-centeredness. So we feel guilty about what we have done. A manifestation of guilt is self-hatred, is self-disdain. It often moves into self-annihilation. People feel guilty and turn against themselves. We don't like what we have done, so we begin to hate ourselves because we feel guilt. The corollary to guilt is then shame. We have done bad things, but not only have we done bad things, but we consider ourselves to be bad. We cast shame and condemnation onto ourselves. What happens out of our guilt and our shame is always fear. We are afraid of being found out. We're afraid of becoming known. We're afraid of coming into the light. We're afraid about condemnation and judgment. That's why we don't open up. And this is what drove the people out of Jerusalem. They heard there was a prophet, and his name was John. God is gracious. And he announced that the king is coming. And the people of Jerusalem heard him preached. They streamed out of their city. There was a revival breaking out to hear him. The people were coming to find relief. So why did God send John the baptizer? God knew a step of preparation had to be made of the heart. God himself would not suddenly appear. He would send someone as a forerunner, a herald, to prepare the hearts of the people. God sent him out to the wilderness because the wilderness is an apt metaphor for the condition of mankind's heart being barren and empty. John announced this was his message. His message was of repentance unto the forgiveness of sins. There is no grace of God flowing to a person's life apart from repentance. Repentance is always primary. We have embraced the doctrine of repentance unto salvation, but we have not embraced repentance as a lifestyle. John would say the axe is laid at the root of the tree, so bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. He called the people to repent. So you say, Pastor R, what is repentance? Repentance is to change the mind, to change the attitude. The mindset begins to change. We feel deep sorrow over our sin. We break agreement with a false belief we've been carrying. We enter into agreement with the truth, and we change the direction of our life. Repentance is how we come into the presence of a holy, life, holy God. Repentance is how we live our Christian lives. I believe that many Christians come to church carrying a heavy stone upon their shoulder, 
And they leave church with a heavy stone upon their shoulder. Why? Because there is no repentance. Imagine, just imagine, a church service. You know, some of you play fantasy football. Well, I play fantasy church. But I'd love to see this fantasy become a reality. Imagine church when we came here and we just began to name our sins. We're not hiding our sins anymore. We're not excusing ourselves anymore. We're not justifying ourselves anymore. We're just admitting to our sin that I am broken, that I have sinned, that I have done immorality, that I have done homosexuality, that I have been prejudiced, that I have been gossiping. Repentance, then, involves the change of the heart. It says, I will send a forerunner who will prepare the way of the Lord, and the high mountains will be torn down, and the deep valleys will be lifted up, and the crooked ways will be made straight, and the rough places be made smooth. What are these high mountains? That every mountain shall be brought low. He's referring there to our pride. We live with a mountain of pride that we stand on. We brag about what we have done. We brag about who we are. But God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. That's why the high mountain must be brought low. And the valleys shall be lifted up. He lifts us up out of the valleys of life. He takes the depressed places we find ourselves, the despair we find ourselves in, and he begins to lift us up. You see, despair is often associated with unbelief. When I'm living in despair, I'm living hopeless. But my God gives me hope, and he lifts me out of the valley of despair. And then he takes the crooked places of our life, the deceptions, the lies, and he begins to straighten us out. And then he takes the rough places, and he begins to refine us and make us smooth. You see, I've done a lot of repenting in my life, and God is calling us all to repent. Let me try to illustrate. When I was just a young guy living in my home, when I would hold up my plastic cup with ice and rattle it, that meant something to the people in the house, to my mom, because she would bring to me another glass of lemonade, another glass of iced tea. I simply would take my cup and rattle it. But then I got married. <laughs> and I had my little plastic cup, and I rattled it and nothing happened. So I rattled a little more vigorously, and nothing happened. And so my wife, Debbie, said to me, R, why are you rattling your cup? And I said, well, that should indicate that I want more drink. And she said, well, that's the old way you used to live. But now you're married. When you get thirsty, you can go get your own drink. Now, and the women clapped. I was hoping they might not, but... You see, repentance is a change of your mind. It's a change of your attitude. It's a change of your actions. And God is calling us, each one, to repent. So what would it be that God wants you to repent of? Repentance should be the normal course of the Christian life because God is continually changing our minds, renewing our minds. And this was his message. John. 
Now I think about John. If he were to live today, he'd probably have a mohawk and uh, have tattoos. And people would come to hear him preach. Fiery message from God. But this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I am. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This one will have the power to forgive your sins. This one will have the power to cast out demons. This one will have the power to feed the multitudes. This one will have the power to raise the dead. He's much more powerful than I am. And John would say, I'll tell you who I am. This is who I am. I am unworthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. You see, in their homes, there was a servant, the lowest of all the servants. And he would stand beside the door. And when a guest came over, he would stoop down and untie the sandal of that person's feet and wash that person's feet in water. And John said, in comparison to Jesus, I am unworthy of coming before him and untying the sandals of his shoes. You see, I must decrease, and he must increase. I baptize with water. You see, when you're baptized with water, it's only a symbol of an internal cleansing from God. The washing happens by his spirit, by his blood. The outside washing is symbolic of an inside washing that God has done. John said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, Isaiah had predicted that the wilderness will be glad, the wilderness will rejoice, that those living in the barren places, and many are living in barren places, the waters will begin to flow. The stream will begin to flow. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. I want so much living water to flow through me and through you that those around us are getting soggy. I mean, they're getting wet because the Spirit of God is flowing through you. The Spirit starts a river flowing in your soul. But you say, Pastor R., I have Jesus, and I have the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized. But the river is not flowing. Let me ask you a question I want you to ponder on. I want to ask you this. What do you think has stopped the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life? What do you think as a church has stopped the flow of the Spirit through us? What is inhibiting the flow of the Spirit in your life? You see, Jesus said, I'm going to... John said of Jesus, I baptize with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, verse 9, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice called out from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love with whom I am well pleased. When Jesus came to John, he had no sin to confess. He had nothing to repent of, for there was no sin upon Jesus. Jesus was coming to be baptized, not because he needed to be baptized, but because we needed to be baptized. 
Jesus did not come to be baptized because he had sin. He came because we have sin. You see, this is Jesus identifying with us, associating with us. He is leading by example. John would say to him, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, let it be done to fulfill all righteousness. And then he heard the voice of the Father, the Father saying, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the beloved Son of God. God the Father was sharing his affection and his fondness for Jesus. At the outset of his ministry, his identity was clear. At the core of his being, he knows he is God's Son. We know that if you do not know who you are, you will always, all your life, lack confidence. Jesus knew from the very beginning who he was. The Father gave him the security of having an identity, of knowing who he is. I don't know what your father called you. I have heard some very derogatory things the fathers have called their sons and daughters. But I do know what your heavenly, my heavenly father calls you. I know the glory of the gospel message is that Jesus has identified with you. And when you identify with him, this is what your heavenly father says of you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my beloved one. So we can say, I am your son. I am your daughter. With confidence and security. And at once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, verse 12. And he was by the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. The Spirit of God drove him out to that wilderness place where he was tempted. Jesus was facing a very powerful temptation in the wilderness. He did not eat. He did not drink for the period of 40 days. And as the days went on and the weeks passed by, I believe the hunger got stronger and stronger and stronger. And the enemy came along and said, I command you to turn, to turn these stones into bread if you are the Son of God. You see, the enemy was questioning his identity, if you are the Son of God. Use your power to your own advantage. You see, behind every temptation is the tempter. Behind every deception is the deceiver. And behind every lie, lie is the liar. And the deceiver was coming along to Jesus saying, use your power for yourself. Disregard your Father's will and just take care of yourself. And you, like Jesus, will face temptations in your life. What are the temptations that you are dealing with? Sometimes we find ourselves in not the greatest of all marriages. And we're up late at night viewing something, watching something, believing that we deserve to, uh, to view or to watch. You see, sometimes what happens is we're feeling very bad about ourselves, or feeling very bad about a situation. And we believe that some sin will make us feel better. We're looking for an instant fix. And so we look to that temptation to satisfy us. But that temptation will never satisfy us. And Jesus is giving us the example here of how to fight the good fight, of how to overcome the temptation. Because what he did when he was tempted was he relied upon the Spirit and he relied upon the Word of God. And he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone 
but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus overcame temptation, and you can overcome temptation in Jesus' name. Amen? And then Jesus began to preach. We find it in verse 14. He came announcing the very good news. John was put in prison, and Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Oh, I like this part. Jesus was the very first evangelical preacher. We call ourselves evangelicals, them that announce the good news. Jesus came saying the time has come. The prophesied time has finally arrived. The moment you've been waiting for is at your doorstep. The promise and fulfillment have intersected. The kingdom of God has come near. And I am the rightful heir to the throne. I am the king. I have come to rule and to reign. I am vested with power and authority. And I've come to take back some of the ground the enemy has stolen. Imagine yourself now in the presence of Jesus. Him announcing the time has come. And the kingdom of God has come near. So what did Jesus say? He said, repent and believe the good news. If Jesus began his public ministry today, he would call us to repentance. If he walked our streets, he would boldly call us to believe, and he would gently call us to repentance. He would tell us it's not okay for people to live together before or outside of marriage. He would say that cohabitation is the elephant sitting in the room. He would ask us to repent from our immorality. He would remind us that he designed marriage to be that of a man and a woman, not of a man and a man or a woman and a woman. He would call the recently passed Maryland law unjust. He would call us to repeal that law, rescind that law. He would call us to cease our adultery and our pornography. He would remind us that to lust in our heart is to already have done adultery. He would ask us to repent of our materialism. You know, we have our stuff, and we own our stuff, but sometimes our stuff owns us. That's why we have a yard sale, so bring your stuff. We're going to get rid of it. We're going to make the house a little empty. He would ask us to renounce our gossip, defaming people's name, talking behind their back without talking to them face to face. He would exhort us to tell the truth and renounce lying and justifying ourselves by saying, it's only a little exaggeration. It's just a little white lie. He would call us to renounce our pride, bragging about our achievements, telling people how great we are and what we have done. When Jesus came, he called people to repent and believe the good news. There was a preacher, and the preacher was teaching his preaching students. And he would call them to the cemetery. And he would have them, as their first assignment, preach to those in the graves, saying, awaken. And one after one, you know, time after time, they would preach a message, and no one would ever awaken from the grave. I mean, I've tried this, and no one has ever popped up. And then he would remind them of a core truth of the gospel, that we are spiritually dead, and only the words of God bring us to life. 
We are in captivity, and we cannot free ourselves. We are blind, but we can't cause ourselves to see. We are deaf, and we can't hear the words of God. And we are dead, and only the words of God will bring us back to life. And this morning, if you will repent and believe the good news, God will breathe new life into you. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Believe the gospel. It is a dying man's only chance. The only way you're ever going to be forgiven and the grace of God flow into your life is to repent and believe the good news. And John was set on fire and people came to watch him burn. And Jesus was on fire with a passion for people to repent of their sins. And that's how Mark begins his gospel. The call to repent. The call to believe. So Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. I love this scene. And he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. <laughs> All they had known their entire life was fish. The fishing business, fishing stories. They're fishing buddies. They knew the currents of the lake. They were fishermen. And Jesus said to those fishermen, follow me. Come, follow me. And the word of Jesus still to us is, come, follow me. That's the, in, that's the invitation. And here's the promise. And I will make you into something that you cannot even imagine. I will turn you into a fisher of men. These men had known the casting of nets their entire life and the catching of fish. They cast their nets upon the sea and they brought forth the fish. And Jesus was teaching them, I'm going to give you a new desire, a new heart. Now you're going to cast your net onto the sea. You're going to bring back people onto the boat. And Peter himself, life would be changed. Peter would go from being a fisher of men, fisher of fish, to a fisher of men. And he would proclaim the gospel at the Feast of Pentecost and 3,000 would come forth. He would proclaim the gospel at Cornelius' house and the whole household would be saved. He himself would become a fisher of men. And his brother Andrew would take the gospel to the borders of Russia. Peter would go to Rome and Andrew would go to Russia. And they left their nets and they followed him. You know what it means to follow Jesus? To hear his call, come, follow me. Leave behind your old life and embrace a new life. You see, these men knew who their king was, but do you have a king? It seems that the preparation for the king's coming then is for God's people to repent. I invite the praise team to come on back. I'm going to pray. So, Father, here we are in your presence. And your spirit is here and powerfully moving among your people. You're opening up places that have been closed off. You're opening up, you're knocking upon the door, and we're hearing your knock. Many of us need a realignment. We need to be, God, just in your presence to hear your voice and to ask the question, what's the sin that has been ruling in my life? What is the attitude that has gone amiss? And to make that humble confession in your presence. Perhaps some of those will kneel here, Lord, in your very presence, making that confession. 
Maybe some will stand to their feet and the Spirit of God will prompt them to make confession. Just begin to name their sin one by one and believe the good news of the gospel that repentance is the pathway to forgiveness. And when we repent, God, you relent of your judgment and you bring healing and pardon into our lives. Thank you, Lord, that Mark himself repented. Thank you that Peter repented. And thank you, God, you give us this choice to repent and to truly believe the good news. And when we believe, you empower us to become fishers of men and to cast the net and bring forth from the sea. Oh, God, do a powerful work in us as we open this book, as we open our hearts to you. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.